0: We've all heard we should step out of our comfort zone, but what if instead we looked at it from the lens of capacity? In today's show, how to increase your capacity zone. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 218. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions to develop your leadership skills. And if you're listening for the first time, welcome. So glad you've joined today because I have a returning guest to the show today. My friend Beth Bilo was on the show back on episode 201 on how introverts make great leaders. And Beth has really become an expert out there in the entrepreneurial space of helping those who have a preference for introversion to lead more effectively in entrepreneurship and in small business. I was telling Beth uh, recently that that episode, 201, was one of the most downloaded episodes this year, so I know it resonates as well with many of you. And the reason I'm so glad to have Beth back is she has just launched her new book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, And she's also the host of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. And she's here today to actually tackle a topic that I know will be helpful to those of us who have a preference for introversion. But in addition to that, will be helpful to us more broadly on how we increase our capacity in the things that we want to do in the workplace each day and also in our personal lives. Beth, welcome back to the show. I'm just thrilled to talk to you.
1: It is a true pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dave.
0: Well, let's start with the analogy you use in the book about Mm -hmm. carnival games, which when I was reading, I just completely resonated with me because when I I remember, Beth, when I was a kid, we had, our church had a annual picnic and they always got all these uh, all the games together and and different people in the church would volunteer to run games for the kids. And I well remember going one year and my dad and I walking past this one game and it was the best way I could describe. There were really brightly colored walking sticks. You could win these walking sticks and they, I'm looking back, they must've been like, you know, a dollar a piece or something. But, <laughs> right. But it was so valuable uh, then. It, it was. And I remember my dad said, Uh, just a very passing comment. I'm sure he doesn't even remember saying it to me. Uh, Oh, son, you could win me one of those walking sticks. And when I get old, I could use it. And Mm -hmm. and I remember, I I don't know how old I was, six or seven or eight years old. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to win this Mm -hmm. walking stick. For my dad. So when he's old, he has something that he can use.
1: <laughs> you don't want to be responsible for him stumbling around. <laughs> I
0: know, I know. And I spent the rest of that afternoon at that booth trying to win the walking stick. And unfortunately oh. the story does not have a happy ending. I Uh-oh. utterly failed. And so anytime I see a story about carnival games, <laughs> I just <laughs> feel like out. I feel like that that experience always comes right back. And so I thought it was interesting that you used the analogy of carnival games in your book on thinking about how we handle capacity. And I was wondering if you could you could share how you framed this and looked at this.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you learned a lesson at an early age, I'm guessing, and I could turn the tables on you and say, when you think back on that, like, what did you learn about? Like you said, it didn't have a happy ending. What did you learn about failure? What did you learn about exerting an effort to get something and feeling motivated to continue to try and to win for, for someone else. Like it was for you, but it was for your father, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that I do remember it so clearly because it didn't happen much in my childhood. I was mm-hmm. pretty good at school. I had a lot of successes. So when something didn't work for me, I remembered it clearly and it burned, it burned into my mind. And so it's it, <laughs> it's interesting you, you asked that, Beth, because if I look back now, if I could change my childhood, which I, I had a wonderful childhood, but if there was something I would change, I would have actually have wanted to have more failures mm-hmm. at some points in childhood to have become more comfortable with it than I am currently today. And I'm getting more comfortable with it. But I think if I had had more earlier on, I bet I would have moved faster on some things professionally in my life.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's that's one of the things I talk about in the book is accelerating failure, like fail often and fail fast, and clearly, even though you had that experience and looking back, you wish you had more. It sounds like you still, you know, were able to be resilient. It didn't it didn't knock you down, it didn't kill you. <laughs> you were able to move on. And that's one of the things. Like in the book, I talk about a whack-a-mole. You know, it's, you know, you got this visual of taking some sort of um, you know, hammer, or other kind of carnival device and and trying to, you know, whack moles as they're popping up through holes. And we can get very, you know, fixated on it. And when we're doing it, we don't expect to to win necessarily. Um, like we almost expect to fail because we know the game is kind of rigged and that it's it's probably not going to go our way, at least not at first. But we keep trying and we don't let it defeat us. And and I think that, you know, when we learn those lessons about, OK, I, it's easy to learn that lesson when you're doing something that is inconsequential, like trying to win a teddy bear or a walking stick. You know, we, we accept those kinds of failures, even though we get very, you know, I mean, don't we get emotional about it? You know, we get adrenaline flowing and, and excitement going. Um, so we're invested, but we also bounce back. We we learn to realize okay it didn't happen so that's not the end of the world, but then we don't always carry that lesson forward into our real you know quote unquote real lives and especially when we're in business and in leadership positions um, we will see failure as something that is. It, we, we focus more on our failures than we do our successes. It's kind of, you know, it's been human nature. And even though there's been so much talk about, you know, focusing on your strengths, counting your wins, counting your blessings and, and all of that, it, it's still, especially I think amongst high achievers, so easy to get sucked into thinking about where you missed whacking the mole instead of, you know, that one time, instead of maybe the five times that you did it successfully before.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And we get, uh, we get, and I, I just think back to how many times on this show, Beth, I've had people on who have been very successful doing something and talk about the importance of failure, accelerating failure. Uh, I remember having Rich Sheridan on the phone who was the, uh, or on the line, who was uh, the author of Joy Inc. a couple of years ago, who talk, mm-hmm. talked a lot about how, how they built a workplace people love and one of their mantras in their company is fail faster that we recognize failure is inevitable and it's an important part of the learning process and the professional development process and even the process of developing things for customers and so let's put it out there and let's fail faster and yet for so many of us we're taught by society or organizations that failure mm-hmm. is such a bad thing even though we expect it in things like carnival games and we know that's just the way the world works <laughs> right. when we actually get out life. into the world and then all of a sudden we have a failure in our professional lives or in our business or organization everyone goes oh my goodness uh, you know what did you do why did you make that big mistake and yeah failure is really data it's data on what didn't work, so you can move on to the next thing. I, by the way, I'm saying this, but <laughs> one of the shifts. <laughs> Are
1: you still learning it yourself?
0: <laughs> oh, for sure, because you yeah. and you make the point in your book, which I love. Is so. It's one thing to know that. It's a whole other thing to then take different action and to actually trust that that's really the right path for you.
1: Exactly, and one of the things that I've learned about failure, and I and I've almost. I think I've almost come to the conclusion that it, it it doesn't have to exist. Like failure, saying I failed or um, it was wrong, it, it's a judgment that we put on it. It's very um, subjective. Like you said, it's data. And there's a great phrase, um, I'm open to outcome, not attached. And when you think about that in relationship to failing, when you fait, quote unquote fail, it's usually because if you really get real with yourself and reflect on it, it's because you are attached to a particular outcome. Mm. You are attached to something happening in a particular way. And when it doesn't happen that way, then it gets labeled a failure or bad or wrong. If you're able to attach, if you're, I'm sorry, if you're able to approach your goals, your business, your 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 capacity in your job, all of those things, with a little—it's almost unrealistic to say no attachment, but with less attachment, you'll find yourself being much more compassionate and being able to see those failures, quote-unquote, <laughs> as data as opposed to um, indictments yeah. on who you are and what you're capable of.
0: Well, that's, uh, that's one of the things I w- wanted us to even get in a little more on because— uh, for those of us and and you have uh, you have a preference for introversion, I know you've said many times mm-hmm. on your podcast and you and I talking together and 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 I do as well, and I know there are many in our audience who do and we we tend to we all do this, but I think in particular those of us who have a preference for introversion, we tend to get in our comfort zones, and there's certain ways we mm-hmm. like to do things, and we don't think as quickly as maybe those who are more extroverted to do things a little differently or increase our capacity and one of the things that i think was neat that you did in the book is you make a distinction between a comfort zone and a capacity zone and Mm -hmm. i was wondering if you could share that distinction with us and why that distinction is helpful for you and for others you've worked with
1: yeah I'd like to start by saying that when I when I talk about comfort zone especially in the context of introverts I think of it as a very positive place. I I feel like the messages, you know, just like with failure that we get from society around comfort zones are very shaming. Like nothing good ever comes out of your comfort zone and and variations on that like if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much space. And it, You know, those can be very motivating statements, but they also can be very um, shaming and discounting of a place that can be very nurturing and very recharging, especially for an introvert. And so especially in entrepreneurship and in leadership, we're always being told, get out of your comfort zone, get out of it. And I feel like there's also um, space to be in your comfort zone because that's where you can shut out all of the overstimulation. You can shut out the things that are um, distracting or stressing you and be able to recharge so that you can go out. And where the capacity zone comes in is it's like, instead of thinking of getting outside of your comfort zone, Think of your comfort zone as having maybe another, you know, ring around it or a layer that's actually your capacity zone. Mm -hmm. And you start in your comfort zone and you kind of gear up for that stretching and you, you get your resources all together. And then you can stretch out a little bit and you can increase the capacity zone, what you are capable of doing. And when you do that, when you come at it, you know, perhaps from that home base of a comfort zone when you stretch out into and you you're increasing your capacity zone it's a little it's a little less stressful you're a little bit more grounded and you have a little bit more confidence perhaps and energy to do those sorts of things and while it might still be you know a little bit scary you know we it's it's good to be scared every once in a while right <laughs> it is um, but we you know if if we can ground that in that sort of, you know, that home base of the comfort zone and stretching out and increasing our capacity zone, you know, it, that what we're capable of will continue to grow and grow and grow. And what is in your comfort zone will continue to grow and grow and grow. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want every new activity to always be like on the edge and uncomfortable every time, all the time. My hope is that I do it enough and that I get comfortable enough that it does start to become part of my comfort zone repertoire, I guess. like right now this is within my comfort zone. and that's you know that is something that wasn't maybe true a few years ago but yeah. but now it is and I really enjoy it. so oh, same here
0: same here. yeah no yeah. I love the way you you frame that because I think that there is this expectation sometimes that especially those of us who are in leadership roles in business and in organizations that we always have to be pushing the edge that we always yeah. have to make ourselves uncomfortable. And uh, and you and I even had this conversation. I think back in episode 201, we were talking about Dale Carnegie because Mm -hmm. sometimes there's the belief that oh, you know, when uh, when people attend courses with Dale Carnegie and the work I do at Dale Carnegie, that you know we're trying to that they need to change or they need to become more extroverted. And and our message has always been very much of be who you are, just increase your capacity and the tools that you have for different situations. And I I really like that approach because then it's not just getting better, but it's also getting better and enjoying your work and enjoying what you're doing. Um, That's one of the principles I've used with coaching for leaders is to enjoy it and to have fun with it and not just always be pushing, pushing, pushing for the next thing, but to enjoy the journey and to have fun with it. And I think that that, your way of thinking about this, of we don't have to shame this comfort zone, which let's Mm -hmm. just look at it as a different place than increasing your capacity.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it is that place where you can, you, especially for introverts, it's that place where you can be quiet where you can reflect and you can hear your own voice and be able to kind of filter out the other voices. So for me, that comfort zone is what makes the capacity zone and what makes stepping out into the unknown possible.
0: Mm. All right. So I know there's probably a few people listening who are saying, "Okay, I buy into that. That makes sense. I'd like to be more like that. When you're working with clients and I know you often are, are are coaching people Beth is what is it that you do that you find or suggest that you find helps people to take that first step of okay now what could I do that would increase my capacity zone?
1: Usually it's one simple step like often somebody will take something like I need to start a blog, right? And, um, you know, I have I have one client who doesn't have a blog. She's been thinking about it. She loves to write. But she's kind of paralyzed with this idea of a blog because she has in her mind the people who have written, you know, a thousand blog posts over the years or have so many followers or that sort of thing. So it's a really uncomfortable and, and a huge stretch for her to think about just even starting. So we talk about um, – we, in, we create a comfort zone of boundaries and structure and parameters. So in her case, I said, okay, here's the challenge. You're going to take no more than 30 minutes. It's going to be no more than 300 words. <laughs> You'll do, you know, and, um, you know, putting, 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 a, putting a box around it, if you will, to break out of that seeing everything is so overwhelming and big. So there's that comfort zone of like, oh, I can do that you know i can do it for 15 minutes or 30 minutes i can write 300 words and i can put it out there and see what happens and so that's kind of how we were able to to break through that initial barrier of it's too big it's too much and say okay so let's take it back into something that you know that you know that is familiar and again that is comfortable
0: so it's setting a lower bar, almost mm-hmm. initially, at least not not long term. It, it, I almost think oh. of it like if if you were watching someone learn how to do the high jump, is you would set the bar. You wouldn't set the bar at the world record level no. at the beginning. You would set it low, and you'd gradually get better at that, and then you'd set it higher. So funny, Beth, because the conversation we had last week on the show about habit setting almost the exact same strategy was yeah. changing a new habit is to do something very small at the beginning get a win there get your yes. confidence up start a start a a, a progress toward being sustainable with it and then you gradually start to move the bar up as time goes on. So it's yeah. almost the exact same story. it's like again and again the, this advice <laughs> keeps coming of like the way to change behavior is not to massively try to change your whole life or business at once. It's no. to identify one or two things and to make a small shift and then to and then to continue to move the bar as you ex- achieve success there.
1: Exactly. And Warren Buffett Famous introvert entrepreneur. One of my favorite quotes from him, and I'm not going to say it exactly. So this is a paraphrase, but he says something like, I would rather find seven one foot bars to jump over than one seven foot bar. Mm. You know, you get that idea basically that, um, yeah, it's a series of smaller steps. I would rather have 10 different wins than one big one that, you know, you don't know what's going to happen.
0: (laughs) So, um,
1: you know, I love what you said about, you know, creating wins for yourself, because that's the other thing that can discourage us. We still might break it down into small pieces, but we haven't broken them down realistically enough that we're setting ourselves up for success. So I think that's the question to ask is like, what's going to set me up for success? And it's success according to you, not according to what, somebody else might be looking at it and saying, well, that's not any big deal. It, if it's a big deal to you, then that is all that's required.
0: That's great. And it's the same strategy Dale Carnegie's used for 100 years in classes, is giving people <laughs> those small wins and building their confidence level and then doing great things with it. And it's uh, as much as I am always inspired by the organizations and leaders that do set those big stretch goals and, and can do big things with it, more often than not, I found that the organizations that do that really frustrate and challenge employees. Mm-hmm. And and I I worked for an organization at one point where we never hit the goal because it was so high yeah. that it just wasn't it wasn't achievable in any realm of reality. And so people just didn't really take the goals seriously after a while because yeah. they're like, well, yeah. you know, we know the goal is going to be, you know. Forty percent more than is we've ever done, so it's just not it's just, it's not even grounded in reality of feeling like that's an achievable objective for us.
1: Mm-hmm. And that gets to another part about the comfort zone and capacity and 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 the pressure to set these unrealistic goals or to have super high expectations. And if you're not going for the gold, then you know it's it basically summed up in that expression: "Go big or go back to bed." you know we we embrace that and we say yes that's right and and i'm sort of like why can't i go big and go back to bed <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why does it have to be an either or?
0: Oh, said by a true (laughs) introvert. Bonnie will love that when she hears that. Exactly. So, So, okay. Speaking of going big and going back to bed. So we, (laughs) let's get real personal here for a minute. So it is, uh, we're recording this on November 6th. The the show is actually going to air a little bit after this. But you launched your book this week. So this has been this has been a big project you've been working on. By the way, the book is fabulous. I really hope that I have not read the whole book, but I've read a portion of it. and I really hope people will go check it out. Some of the really big names out there in the field of the introversion space, like Susan Kane, for example, have endorsed the book. If you identify as an introvert and you're a leader in any capacity in an organization, I would really encourage you to check it out. So here's the thing, Beth, though, I'm curious about is (laughs) you are the kind of person that, you know, I I would imagine there's a lot of expectation on authors to go big Mm -hmm. and to be out there and to be on media. And you have done a lot of that in the last few weeks and month or so. Um, What have you done in your own work and how you're approaching this to, to increase your capacity zone?
1: Well, on book launch day, I took a nap. Did you really? (laughs) I did. That's awesome. From 10.30 to 11.30. It wasn't even noon.
0: (laughs) That is awesome. I
1: had had such an awful night's sleep. You know, just a little bit of uh, pre-launch day anxiety. But um, So I did go big, and then I went back to bed. But, you know, it's been about... I, and this is going to sound, you know, I hope this doesn't sound negative, but it's in some ways, it's like recognizing, acknowledging and accepting limitations. You know, I, I, and when I say that, I I don't mean it to sound like I'm saying, well, I'm limited, or I can only do so much. But I also know that my energy is, is a, something of a finite resource, I, you know, it always has to be it is renewable, it's a renewable resource. But on a daily basis, and especially when you're when I am putting myself out there in such a way, it's something that I have to kind of guard a little bit fiercely and and say, you know, I don't care if somebody would, would say, I can't believe you took a nap on your launch day. <laughs> um, you know, that's what I had to do. And so that's how I've been able to take care of myself throughout this whole process. I'm not immune to, you know, feeling like oh, I have to be everywhere. I have to, you know, do everything. I have to do all the things that they say I should and, you know, follow all the instructions to a T. You know, that's kind of my recovering type A personality that that looks at all of that and, and feels some disappointment if I didn't do every, 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 everything that I could. But then there's this other part of me that says, you know, something though, you do the best you can. And you do it true to who you are. Like it has to be an integrity. It has to be an alignment. And if, you know, splattering my <laughs> message all over the universe is not in alignment, then that's not what I'm going to do. And it might work for someone else. But if it doesn't work for me, then it's not going to work. So I've just been able to find, you know, different that um, do fit my do fit my style and my message and have tried to embrace those and give myself credit for where i am showing up and how i'm showing up. i think that's the other thing that's really important because as we started out this conversation it's so easy to focus on the shortcomings and the things you didn't do. and we forget to give ourselves credit for the the things large and small day in and day out that we consistently do to put ourselves out there, make the, you know, get our message out, make a difference in people's lives yeah that's a, a very rambling answer to your question, but it's it's um it's been an interesting journey of self-discovery. I will definitely say that if you ever want to have every button pushed that you can possibly think of publish a book
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet and you know it it sounds it strikes me as a very authentic answer too of and one of the things I heard you say there is that part of the way you improve your capacity zone is you also, honor your comfort zone is you re- recognize what you can do and what you can't do and you're fine yep. of saying hey I am going to take a nap on launch day and hey I'm not going to stay up all night for four nights in a row of trying to prepare this and I'm going to leverage other right. people I know you have other people on your team involved and so part of the way you improve your capacity zone is you identify what your comfort zone is and where you, when you need to be there in order yeah. to do that
1: Exactly when you want to when you need to honor it and and then to remember to celebrate every time that you are stretching that that zone and stretching that capacity zone. And, um, and like I said, giving yourself credit.
0: Oh, interesting, because celebration is not something that I tend to do well. And I think that sometimes a lot of us mm. probably set aside the importance of that. That's one of those things. I recognize the importance of Beth, but I definitely don't do in action as much. Why is that important from your perspective? And then what do you do to celebrate when the time is right to have have something to celebrate.
1: Besides take a nap?
0: (laughs) Besides take a nap. (laughs) That would be Bonnie's answer. If Bonnie was here, that's the answer she would have.
1: (laughs) Excellent. I like her. (laughs) It's important because it doesn't matter if you're running a business, if you're a leader in a business, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And we need to be able to recognize The small wins that we have along the way, you know, a perfect example that I found really um, affirming and inspiring was a a nonprofit organization that um, in their development office where they were raising money, every time a new gift came in, they would ring a bell and everybody would hear that and then they would applaud and go back to work. And it didn't matter if it was a $5 check in the mail or a $5 million grant that they had just received. They celebrated every gift. And, and I think it's good for us to, you know, consider that and think, how can I celebrate these different milestones, these different achievements, large and small, the $5, the 5 million, it doesn't matter. Because the more we do that, then the more I think we're bringing gratitude into our work. And the more sustainable we will be, because it can feel like a slog you know if you, if you're always you know day and day out and you're not acknowledging those good things and feeling gratitude for them it can be you know a huge weight like you it's something i talk about and i'm not always good at, at doing it <laughs> i think about it and and sometimes i think even carving out just a few minutes to think about okay where did i start and where am i now and wow i really appreciate that Another way I celebrate wins is I text text my friend and I'll say, hey, you know, this just happened. And she, her heart, has like this over-the-top enthusiasm, you know, get out of here, you know, <laughs> kind <laughs> of response. Awesome. And she helps me to celebrate. Oh, cool. um, I can always count on her for that enthusiasm. So it's great if you have somebody in your life that you can turn to that way.
0: You know, it's, it's so easy to turn our attention to the things that don't work. And yeah. I think most of us do that pretty naturally. We don't need to be reminded. Thank you very much. But exactly. we we definitely struggle with taking the time to stop and enjoy the things that are happening great in our business and in our life, and finding people who support us with that. And I just love that you have a friend who who does that for you. And and you know, and I know you do a good job of doing that for other people too. So I just think it's a great message for us and how we improve our capacity and how that will help us to continue to lead more effectively and have the energy and the enthusiasm to do that in a real authentic way. yeah. Well, Beth, I am so grateful for you taking the time to be here today in the midst of your launch week of your book. And uh, for those who, I know you have some additional things that go along with the book, in addition to just the book itself that people get. And I was wondering if maybe you could share a little bit of of that before uh, we go.
1: Yeah, I'm actually developing an online course that's going to go and I'm sorry to call it a course, um, (laughs) because that sounds really dry, doesn't it? Actually, what we're calling it is a it's a spin on the subtitle and it's called Amplify Your Strengths Learning Lab. And it's an online cohort of fellow introvert entrepreneurs. And the best way to describe it is it's uh, book group meets mastermind group. So we're going to take a deep dive into the book and um, see how we can apply it to our businesses. Oh, so cool. that's one um, offering that'll be coming up in January. And otherwise, throughout the book, there are different notations that tell you where you can go online for some different activities or worksheets, um, for instance, a values and identification exercise and things like that. So um, when you see something like that in the book, please visit online and you'll get more more resources.
0: Great. Well, the best way to track down Beth is to go to the introvertentrepreneur.com. She also has a huge following on Facebook. You have about 30,000 people that are part of your community, Beth, and are doing great things as far as uh, helping to support the community you've built and helping introverts and entrepreneurs to do great things. So congratulations on that. I'm just really excited for all the work you've done out there. And I hope people will go Check out the book and use it as a resource, especially uh, those of us who uh, really identify uh, with wanting to do this in, in a way that's really authentic to who we are.
1: Yeah, fabulous. Thank you so much, Dave.
0: Beth Bilo is the author of the new book just launched, The Introvert Entrepreneur, and is also the host of the Introvert Entrepreneur podcast. Thanks, Beth.
1: Thanks, Dave. <laughs>
0: I've had the privilege of getting to know Beth uh, pretty well over the last few months, and I really uh, value the work that she's doing out there. If you, like me, tend to be more introverted or maybe work with someone closely who is and uh, you're leading a business organization, I really would encourage you to check out this new book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, and also to check out her podcast by the same name. I listen to it often, and I think you'll find that her work's really helpful out there in the world for you. And if you have comments or questions about uh, anything we talked about on today's show, or maybe you just have a comment or question in general about leadership that you'd like us to tackle for one of the next Q&A shows, the next one coming up is episode 221, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And unlike most months, we actually still have some question spots available for the show coming up in December. So get your questions in now if you've got one that you'd like us to consider for the show. Again, coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. I always give preference to people who submit questions by audio, which you can do on that site. You can even listen to it before you submit it. But uh, you can also, uh, there's information there on how to submit it by writing as well. And if you're not already subscribed to the show, it airs every Monday. You can subscribe to it on wherever you're listening to this or on iTunes or Stitcher. And before I let you go, take a moment, please, to join my weekly leadership guide. It comes to your email box on Wednesday and includes an article from me each week on the best articles, podcasts, videos, ideas, resources that I know will help you between the shows. And it also includes an overview and a link to the full weekly show notes so you can get all the resources mentioned each week. So if you listen on the go like I do, it will help you in staying current on what's being mentioned on the show. And when you join the Leadership Guide, you will get instant access to my Reader's Guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others with brief summaries for me on the value of each one of those books. And if you read just one of those books this year, maybe even over the holidays, it'll really get you set up for success starting in 2016. And it will almost certainly get you thinking about not only reading one of those other nine books, but you'll hear many references to great leadership books in any of those books. So if you'd like to get access to that, coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe is the way to do that. And that'll stay keep you connected with the show and everything that's going on in the Coaching for Leaders community as well. Hey, have a great week. And I look forward to talking with you next Monday. Take care.